Chicago. It is cold in Chicago. All over again. Mm. But I have this lovely Bloody Mary to mm. clear out my sinuses. It's true. I was worried about your health. It's a salad <laughs> in a glass. <laughs> what is this? Pickled asparagus? Is this, a, is this a Trader Joe's purchase? It is from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. My parents brought it when they came to visit me for Christmas. That's how you know they love you. It's true. They love Bloody Marys and they love me. They love pickled asparagus. They sure do. It's for really sure. delish. It's really delicious asparagus. <laughs> it's so fucking good. <laughs> I should learn how to pickle. We should all learn to be more self-sufficient. It's true. I'm tired of depending on the man <laughs> for my pickles. <laughs> for my pickled accoutrements. <laughs> yeah. mm. All right. You ready? I am. <sighs> Welcome to Wellmance. A podcast about bodice busters. Wide open spaces. <laughs> Wide open legs. <laughs> And romance novels. And romance novels. Mostly I'm, the last one. And all the others. <laughs> I'm Isabeau. I'm Morgan. And this is Moments. Today we're going to talk about Montana Sky. Singular. Montana Sky by the imminent Nora Roberts. A lioness in her field. That's my Nora Roberts impression. That's really good. I have absolutely no idea what she sounds like, but she probably sounds like that. I'm Nora Roberts. <laughs> I'm a lion if I failed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nora Roberts, and for those of you who maybe love her mystery novels, uh, as J.D. Robb, mm-hmm. has been writing since the late 80s. She's kind of the beginning and the end of a certain kind of understanding of romance novels. Mm-hmm. And Montana Sky is the book that we chose because I had a personal connection to it, which yeah. we alluded to in one of our last episodes. Yeah. Um, when my Aunt Maria died, I went into her romance novel cave, which was floor-to-ceiling <laughs> romance novels, uh, built-in bookshelves. And Montana Sky was one of the novels that I walked away with after poor Aunt Maria had passed. And and I wanted to revisit it with you, Morgan. Yeah. So should I should I explain what this book is you about? You should explain what this book is about for our listeners. So it takes place in Montana. Sure does. In the contemporary, which in the case of this book is 96. Mm-hmm. I was five. How old were you? I'm not going to tell you. It was the year that Braveheart <laughs> won Best Picture, <laughs> if that like orients you in time, dear listeners. So it's basically three grooms for three sisters. <laughs> On the wide open west, this uh, really amorous ranch owner had three daughters with three different women, and one of them, the youngest, has grown up on the ranch and feels entitled to take it over, but he leaves this thing in his will, this clause that says, all three sisters must live at the ranch for one whole year in order to come into their equal ownerships, split the ranch three ways. Weirdly, he includes a contingency plan if one of them is killed, which I was like, that's a weird inclusion, but... It turns out... Turns out it's important. There's a murderer! Yeah. Afoot. There is a murderer. So this is... ranch. Our first murder mystery romance. Yeah. Which is its own kind of subgenre in the field. Um, there are a couple other things that I want to talk about in terms of the details. Yeah. Of this. So all three sisters are very different. They had very different mothers. The eldest is basically the daughter of a Dolly Parton type character. The second... Showgirl. A showgirl from Vegas Mm -hmm. who has relocated to LA. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's a screenwriter, the daughter is. Right, the daughter's a screenwriter. And she's buxom. Very buxom. God. We uh, talk a lot about tits in this book. And 
and ass. It's a lot of TNA. Yeah. And it's a lot of different kinds of TNA. TNA. Yeah. So then the second sister is a wilting violet, mousy type from the South, like South Carolina or Virginia or Virginia, something. I Virginia. Think. And her mom's a nature photographer. Right, which is how she met the rancher because she was doing a thing in Montana. And then the last daughter, her mother's last name was Bloodchild. So there's an entire discussion about her indigenous background and being biracial mm-hmm. and how that affects her relationship both to the land and to the ranch and to her shitty awful father. Mm-hmm. And she's like a cowgirl virgin. She is. Willa is the youngest. Willa's the youngest. Willa the virgin. Mercy. Willa Mercy. Oh, all of their last names are Mercy because they're fathers. It's the Mercy Ranch. Yeah. Willa's mean. Willa is mean. I think she's got a lot of pent up. Uh, Lily is the second daughter. Lily is the second. The wilting violet. Mm-hmm. Lily. That makes sense. And then the oldest one, the coolest one by far. By far. Although, I don't like her ending. No, her ending fucking sucks. But we're not going to get to that yet, readers. No spoiler alerts just yet. <laughs> That's Beans, Adam smiled again. The dog. So we've got to know Beans the dog. Beans the dog. Is important. Uh, Adam is Willa's uh, half-brother, her older half-brother. God, what is this woman's name? God, they're really... Tess. Tess Tess is the hottest name in the world. And I remember thinking that. Mm -hmm. I think Tess is a very sexy name. I agree. It's weird to me once it becomes Tessa. I'm like, no. But like, if someone's like, I'm Tess, I'm like, I'm intimidated. Tess and Tessa both for me are indomitably sexy for lots of reasons. I don't like Teresa per se as like a Mm -hmm. heroine name, but Tess and Tessa have enough spunk and gumption. I think it's Tess de Uberville. She's Mm. got that intense... Durbaville? Durbaville? Mm-hmm. It's Durbaville? Mm-hmm. It looks French. That's the whole point. Like that. Durbaville! That, <laughs> that is literally the point of, like, we should read that book on this podcast, but like, not right now. It's Durbaville? It's Durbaville. My whole world! <laughs> like, that's like the crux of, anyway. Womance listeners, we'll get back to Tess of the Her Durbaville. Her name isn't Tess, it's Tess Duberville. <laughs> Duberville. It's not Tess Duberville, it's Tess! Tease Dubbervilles! Anyway, I would love to tease discuss. Is sexy. It is not. It sounds like teas. Like Dita Von Tease. Or like oh. cock teas. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, the sisters are Willa, Lily, Tess. Uh-huh. Tess is curvy. Lily is sad and small. Uh-huh. And Willa is a headstrong virgin. Yeah. Okay. We're in Montana. We're in Montana. Under the strange will and testament of a shitty absent father for all of them. And they have to stay there because it's a multi-million dollar ranch in this plum part of the Flathead Valley, which is hilarious, dear listeners, because my actual real-life sister lives in Montana's Flathead Valley. It is beautiful. She still lives there? She sure does, with her two children. It is gorgeous. Um, So this book had a geographical resonance for me. But one of the weirdest things for me about this book was its immediate grotesque and intense violence. Look. What? Listeners. Listeners. Isabeau. You know this about me. I do. 
I love murder stuff. I do know that about you, Morgan. I was a weird kid who read about serial killers in my unfinished basement (laughs) on the internet. A lair, if you would. (laughs) If you have ever wondered what's the best place to read the website Murderpedia, (laughs) the answer is an unfinished basement in the middle of Western Kansas. That sounds right. Sets the mood. Mm. (laughs) Um, And so I've read some pretty grotesque stuff, but there was something about her depiction of the killers in her psyche and the murders themselves that was deeply off-putting for me. What do you mean by off-putting? I mean, I didn't like it. Like, I wasn't intrigued by it. I Mm. didn't want to know more about it. Mm. I also found it, it wasn't like mundane evil even. No, it's a... It was like really baroque, grotesque evil. What do you mean by baroque? Okay, so I've never read The Exorcist, the book. Okay. But people always say the book is so much more difficult than the movie because it occupies the demon's mind so much and Mm. the demon is just shitty through and through and just annoying and Mm -hmm. grating. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is no redemptive quality. Mm-hmm. There's not even like wit mm-hmm. or insight mm-hmm. or personal evaluation. And I, that's how I feel about the killer in this book. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I don't think that any actual serial killers have any interesting inner monologue that I'm interested in. Um, perhaps curious about, but nothing that I want to spend time with. We do spend a lot of time in the inner monologue of the serial killer. And part of it is because, like, the movement that Nora Roberts is doing mm-hmm. is that she's setting you up for a red herring. Yeah. So, Which I think worked. It was the only time I was like, <gasps> in the book. Yeah, that's true. So, dear readers. There's a red herring. There's a red herring. Lily, the middle wilting violet sister... Loves Montana. She's there not only to bury her shit father, who she never knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's there to escape an abusive ex-husband. Yeah. Who we know pretty early on has followed her. Mm-hmm. So there's this entire discussion about his violence and his violence against her in particular. But it's always really located in Lily. Yeah. So then when the violence around her erupts, it yeah. feels really weird. And at first when I read that, I was like, well, Lily got out at the right moment. Because, like, she married a serial killer. Or Or did did she? Can I say, like, as soon as I realized who it wasn't, I Mm -hmm. knew immediately who it was. Really? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know until the revelation of who it was. Like, I was legit surprised. Can we do some spoilers? Sure. Okay. If you don't want to hear spoilers, stop listening now. Okay. After the scene where uh, Lily and Tess get Mm -hmm. in the snow fight Mm -hmm. and Jim comes upon them and they're both kind of nervous. And then I was like, oh no, Jim's going to get killed. And then Jim didn't get killed. Mm. There was something so ominous about the scene. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, she's obviously setting up a red herring. So it's going to be Jim. I didn't know why he was doing it. I didn't have any insight to that, but I knew it was him. Interesting. I had no idea until the actual revelation. Like, I thought it was one of the other hands. I thought, like, there was, like, some weird other thing going on. Like, I knew who it wasn't, but I never knew who it was. And I think part of the reason is because, like, the murders start at the animal level. Like, the steer is the first creature killed and it's so violent readers listeners yeah it's like and the way in which Nora Roberts describes it it's like it's brutal and like there's this metal tang in the air that lots of writers describe in terms of blood everywhere but it's also like the actual violence of the thing and it's like the waste Mm -hmm. because a steer of this size that they've been raising to go to market which is also going to be butchered and eaten anyway which is like this whole other thing has just been left in the road and butchered and not for meat and not for sustenance, but like in this way that is 
grotesque. Mm -hmm. And like this ostensible romance is really fascinated with the grotesque. And I think there's something there about like the two sides of titillation that I'd like to talk about. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, okay, so I felt like this book was going to hit out of the park for you because you're always talking about how crucial the whiff of death is. Yes. And this book has a whole stinky stinker of death around it. Too much death. Too much death. Yeah. And scalping. Oh, God, yeah. So, and like that brings in a weird racial element. I mean, listeners, we are in 2018 in this moment. And this book was written in 1996. <laughs> you had to so, look like, at your notes. I did. <laughs> to know what year. <laughs> I don't know who I am or where I am. <laughs> It's um, 2007. We've all come a long way. Thank God. Barack Obama's about to be elected for the first time. I was so hopeful. <laughs> we all were. Anyway, the scalping adds a particularly strange racial element to who the murderer is and what yeah. they're doing. That it doesn't really pay off. At all. It's like, again, it's like it's a red like herring. a reference he knows and he Yeah, and he's emulates. using it, but like no one believes it anyway. Because Spoilers they, are basically over now, by yeah. the way. Yeah. You can come back. And that made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, it made the sex scenes less enjoyable because there's this weird racial element that I didn't know how to parse out. And, like, the ever-present... Even Lily, like, deeply fetishizes Adam. Yeah. Her particular bridegroom. Who is indigenous. Yeah. Um, And do they specify? That he's indigenous? No, what tribe? No, they don't specify. And they should because in the Flathead Valley it would be the Blackfeet. Anyway, they don't. He's like, and then that sense, he's like the noble savage. Mm-hmm. And like fucking Tess even says that at yeah, one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, that is a dated misstep that feels ridiculously uncomfortable yeah. 20 years later. Yeah, yes. I was deeply uncomfortable with that moment. And what was really interesting about that moment in the book is she's ostensibly this screenwriter from sunny LA. Uh-huh. And she's writing this screenplay about this weird thing where she has to live on this multi-million dollar ranch with mm-hmm. her shitty virgin sister and her other shitty, <laughs> shitty. wiltering violet sister. Two women whom she has never met before. And she's describing in her screenplay like this budding romance between her wilting violet sister Lily and Adam. And she's like, and the noble savage is tamed. And she says it out loud to his face. Yeah. And then she's like, I don't mean it like that. And he's like, no, I understand your heart because you're a good person. Uh, that was, the, uh, <laughs> I think that was the weirdest moment for me. I understand your heart. You're a good person. No, she's not. No, she's not. Like she is legit not. And like, that is a moment of like casual racism that this book really trades in. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, Tess mm. was my favorite one. Talk to me about why Tess is your favorite one, even though I she's like a super casual racist. I love that scene where she goes see her mom before she moves. Her mom. Her mom's the best character. What a treasure. I love that she's working all the time. Mm-hmm. She's working on her script. She's kind of like one of those people in prison who's making the most of it. Mm-hmm. And she she is the only independently wealthy mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. of the group. Mm-hmm. I like that, I don't like her ending, but I like her relationship. To the lawyer. To the lawyer. He annoys me. Um, Hang on, I want to put a pin in that, and I want to go back to Tess's mom. The first of Mr. Mercy's I want to mention the other reason I like Tess. Okay. She's down for everything. She is. She's legit down. She admits it's not her world, but she's going to try. Yeah. She even tries inseminating cows. Yeah, that's a weird scene. Which, like, I'm from the beef belt. I've seen it 
happen. I would never. You would never go uh, tricep deep into the vagina of a cow? And then I guess you just like release the cum you have in your hand. That is what you do. <laughs> it's like that scene in Jurassic Park where Laura Dern just shoves her entire arm into a Jurassic poo. It's that deep into a cow's is it uterus. A television show so you can't see Isabel and I doing our like, <laughs> best fisting gestures. Oh my god, we're fisting so hard. It involve a twist. It does. It has to, I think. Like, right? Because, like, the way Will in someone which clarify like, for us? Oh, fisting Google works. it. Google it. Or don't. Just tell us your personal <laughs> no, experiences. No, you Google it I'm right not go- now. I'm not Googling that right now. It is Sunday. It's the Lord's <laughs> Day. So I want to talk more about Tess's mom. Uh-huh. Who works in this beautiful space of, like, a Dolly Parton, like, automaton. She owns a bar now. Slash bordello. It's a strip club. Oh, right. It's a strip club. Yeah. And she's a former showgirl from Vegas. She has fake tits. She has fake hair. She has, like, 11 shades of lipstick. But she, she has, has a very dreamy pool boy. Yeah, she does. That she, like, loves to objectify. Yeah. And, like, Tess is equally embarrassed slash proud of this woman yeah. and what she's made of herself and yeah. what she's made for her daughter. And I think that's, like, one of the most beautiful and touching moments of the entire book is Tess's relationship to her mom. Mm-hmm. And, like, her mom shows up at the ranch at one point and she's carrying this Pomeranian and she's got like 11 suitcases and she smells and she says things like bless your little heart and she just like oh she's from texas she's from texas that's my other favorite part yeah i'm also the progeny of texas but she's one texan she is one texan i'm full texan whoa full tex and it's like it's beautiful and the whole cheese and onion enchilada whoa (laughs) tex-mex And one of the things, Tess's mom is unapologetically who and what she is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things about this book that is actually okay. Yeah. Is each of the Lily, Willa, and Tess's journey is about finding authentic self. Yeah. And I think that's nice. Like casual Uh racism, not great. No. Really intense, grotesque murders, which also involve a lot of violence against women. So trigger warning for our readers and listeners. This book is really rough in that way. Yeah. But like our three main characters. It's it's not just murder. It's also rape and, and physical abuse. Do we want to talk about that? The rape? Yeah. Um, well, it is there na- are two of them. Yeah, it is named. It is mm. called what it is. Yeah. Which is refreshing in romance. That's true. And especially in 1996, like, Nora mm. Roberts is not pulling punches about the kind of violence that women suffer, especially mm. at the edges of society. And, like, yeah. this ranch is essentially a law unto itself. Yeah. Which makes it both isolated and terrifying as a space to enact this, like, love slash murder plot. Yeah. But also, I think, kind of true in the sense that, like, women's bodies have for so long been outside of like the law's protection in so many particular ways it's really yeah i think that's a really beautiful metaphor right or is it a metaphor i mean it's a truth unacknowledged drawing between the space of the novel and the central characters Mm -hmm. of the novel because it is interesting that nora roberts would choose montana Mm -hmm. and i think of the american west Mm -hmm. Is this really important part of every American's identity, even mm-hmm. if you live on one of the coasts. Mm-hmm. Or an urban center. Or an urban center. Like Chicago. Chicago was the Wild West for a long time. For a moment. 
for a moment. But we were defined by that moment. Yep. It's also that idea of liminal space that's yep. so critical. Like Tess couldn't do the things Tess did. Willa couldn't do the things Willa did without these outsiders coming in. And Lily certainly couldn't be the Lily she became without going through this liminal space and entering into this kind of... Radical authenticity. Radical authenticity, but also a suspension mm-hmm. in time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God. Devin said that really brilliant thing in sci-fi that I think about all the time, which is that waiting is in itself a type of time travel. Mm. And it is, like, you do get this sense of, like, time is really suspended Mm -hmm. for Tess especially. Mm -hmm. She's the one who's got something to go back to. Mm -hmm. She's, like, the only one that has anything to go back to because Lily's running. Willow wants everyone to (laughs) eat so that she can inherit the ranch that she's owed because she's worked at her entire life. Well, she wants to buy out her sisters. Right. And Tess has a life. Mm -hmm. That's what makes her a really interesting character, and it's weird to me that we spent so much time with Willow. Mm -hmm. But do you know what, for me, really, clarifies the setting as liminal are the lives of the groomsmen. Yeah. Do you want to talk about our our hot Montana beefcakes? Yeah. Who do you want to start with? Should we start with the lawyer or should we start with Adam? Uh, Let's start with Adam. The book starts with Adam. The book does start with Adam. So Adam is Willa's older brother Mm -hmm. and he has always had a job on the ranch Mm -hmm. since his mother procreated with Willa's father. Mr. Mercy. Jack Mercy. Uh, And he works the horses Mm -hmm. um, and he lives in a cute little cottage mm-hmm. on the ranch mm-hmm. with a garden. And three dogs. What is named Beans. We mm-hmm. already covered that. We did. Beans. Threes and threes. Do things in threes. It's like a, isn't that an improv thing? Is it? I have no idea. It seems fair. I'm so scared to take an improv class. You should totally this. take an improv no, class. No, I think I'm going to like, it's going to become a cult thing for me if I do it. You should do it. What if I'm bad at it? I think you'll be really good at it. I think I'm going to let everyone down if I take an improv class. I don't think so. I don't think you'd let anyone down. I think you might be like, you know, the next... What's her face from Community? I'm like terrified that I'm Allison Brie. I'm gonna go to an improv class, and the only thing that's gonna come to mind is terrible Borat impressions. That's fair. Start there. <laughs> anyway, Adam, who we've already discussed in terms of casual racism and his like apparent solicitude of these three women, which is really interesting. <clears throat> he has an immediate affinity for the wounded middle sister Lily, Lily. who she sh- sees her like a horse. Yeah, because she's a skittish horse. Uh, She shows up to her father's funeral with two shiners. Yeah. And she's like, I fell. And he's like, I know you didn't fall. Yeah, he's like quiet, intense. Works with horses. He's like your classic, well, they all are, the classic romance hero and that nothing's actually wrong with them. Yeah, nothing's wrong with Adam. There is a, so we'll talk about each of them. tender love. They do make tender love. And like that is actually one of the most interesting love scenes, I think, in the entire book. And like one that I want to point out in particular. So like the bad ex-husband shows back up, takes Lily Uh hostage Uh in front of Adam. Uh And there's like this whole fly by night into the wilderness moment where like he's got her and he's Mm -hmm. trying to get away slash hurt her and like there's a whole thing but he doesn't rape her no and they get her back about 12 hours later she has hypothermia and then she gets pneumonia and like you know she's laid up in bed for three weeks and adam who has begun a relationship with her both physically and emotionally is really like they're engaged at that point yeah they're engaged by that point he's really shook by this right as any kidnapping and attempted rape would shake anyone yeah and there's this moment where like like, she gets out of her convalescence and Lily's like, I want everybody to stop treating me like a child. Mm-hmm. I am not a child. I want to plant my own garden. I want to plan my own wedding. Yeah. And I want you to fucking make love to me, Adam, uh-huh. because yeah. you haven't touched me in three weeks. And is it because you think that he touched me? 
And like, does that matter to you? Yeah. Which I think is really interesting because she doesn't come out and say that A, she was never raped, but she like asks this question, does it matter to you? And of course he says it doesn't. I think Nora Roberts means that genuinely. I think she does too. But it kind of seems like the actual reason, like I feel like I'm not man enough because I couldn't save you is also kind of like a disingenuous shitty reason. But it also feels like particularly like 1996. Yeah. Feels like Braveheart, Mel Gibson-y kind of masculinity that failed. Yeah. And Adam is the only one. Even though it doesn't fail, he does find her and save her. Right. Adam's is the only masculinity that is perceived to fail. But. (laughs) Rescued by Lily's intense attraction. They have this like beautiful romantic scene where she basically rips off all of his clothes in their kitchen and it's Uh really sweet. It's very hot. But like, I think it's important to note that Adam's masculinity is the only one that's allowed to perceivably fail and then is rescued by the femininity and libidinous nature of Uh Lily's awakening and authentic self. Yeah. In that way, that arch, that romantic arch is the most interesting one. Yes. Let's talk about Nate the lawyer. Yes! Who went to Yale and studied poetry and law. Yeah! How are we going to turn this backwater, know nothing, into someone who could woo a screenwriter from Hollywood? Well, guess what? This cowboy went to Yale. Are you surprised? Because Tess was. You should be. And guess what else? He likes Keats. <laughs> Such a weak substitute for depth to be like, he went to Yale and he reads Keats. But that's all he gets depth wise. That's not true. What else does he get? He gets an amazing sex scene. That We're- doesn't add character depth. <laughs> First of all, that sex scene was the hottest it's, sex scene in the novel. It was. It was. Dear listeners, Tess shows up because she's also the only one who's like libidinously in charge of herself. Yeah. She decides she wants to. She wants to bang so, Nate, the lawyer. So she shows up in this super hot dress at his house while he's in his office and like basically peels herself out of it and like gets on his lap and just like fucks him senseless. And it's awesome. And he's like totally down for it because he's also like strangely already in love with her. Mm-hmm. Whatever. He reads Keith. But he's. <laughs> She brings him a book of Keats. She does, because she already knows him, because she's already secretly in love with him, but because, can't admit it to herself. she's overheard the only character trait that is of <laughs> significance to his, like, any kind of, like, sense of romance or worldview is that he likes Keats. Right. But this other part of character building is, we mentioned this earlier, that Tess has this real pride slash shame relationship about her mother, because her mother is, like, a lot. And her mom shows up in Montana about three quarters of the way through the book mm-hmm. for the wedding of Lily and Adam. Mm-hmm. And Even though she doesn't know either of them. Right. Because, like, that's what she does. Just imagine Dolly Parton showing up with two Pomeranians in you know, a... I always thought of her as more of, like, a... Shirley a, MacLaine? A punchy Tammy Wynette. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Punchy Tammy Wynette, I hear. I also imagined her tits bigger than that. Because, like, they yeah. talk about so much tits and ass in this. Anyway. I want to say, I was listening to Let Him Fly mm-hmm. last night. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful encapsulation. Tammy Wynette was a really gifted songwriter. It's true. People don't say that enough. Anyways, that's all I... That's good. That was this week's Aside About Tammy Wynette. <laughs> that's not going to be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's a podcast within a podcast. <laughs> Tammy Wynette. A song. Unsung American hero. Uh, no. So, like, mom shows up. Tess is super embarrassed. And Nate, the lawyer of Yale, who yeah. has moved back to the Flathead Valley, is like, fuck you. Your mom is outstanding. And it's gross that you're embarrassed by her. And yeah. no one else is. Yeah. And, like, your reaction is stupid. Get over yourself. Yeah. Although that's kind of chauvinist. 
Yeah. Maybe I don't like Nate. Oh, that sex scene, though, listeners. But the sex scene is all Tess. I like the one in the truck, which is also all Tess. Tess likes to give head in trucks and receive head in trucks. Nothing wrong with that. I agree. It's super sexy. I don't know. How many people have been in a truck? Do you think? I have. I just think it'd be. It's a little. Is it a stick shift? Because if it's an automatic, you have more room on the bench. But if it's not. mm. Yeah. I just think a truck isn't especially tricky. I mean, it's no Mini Cooper. I've never been in a Mini Cooper. (laughs) If it's a stick shift, you just don't have the room for the maneuverability of like a minivan. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying. It happens in a truck because, of course, it happens in a truck. Because we're in Montana. Them? What do they call them? They don't call them. Oh, no. They have, like, Range Rovers that they don't. Yeah, Land for the. Rovers that they don't call Jeeps. They call them. Rigs. Rigs. Yeah, the rig. I'm a Flatlander. You are a Flatlander. We only had trucks. Yeah, they were, like, all-terrain vehicles and Range Rovers. Which, again, like, there's a real discussion of class in this. Which is really <laughs> interesting in terms of the West. Because you think of the West almost as, like, classless. Or, like, the way in which class is an acting itself isn't the way that it enacts itself in like Chicago Mm -hmm. because they are on a multi-million dollar ranch but all of that money is sunk into the land and into the cattle it's like Mm -hmm. not easily accessible except for their fucking land rovers yeah and like their enormous house their enormous house and the the life of a ranch hand is fascinating to Mm -hmm. me that these men kind of live monkish lives right in the bunkhouse in the bunkhouse it is weird they live like monks they get the weekends off except monks who can go to town town. and get drunk and hire whores Anyway, that was weird. What did you think? Womance or no mance? No mance. No mance? I didn't like it. Why? I don't know. I found it to be boring. I found the details to be very Nancy Drew. Mm. Uh, Like when they go to the spa especially. I was like, oh my god. I didn't care for our central character who is Willa. And I think Mm -hmm. it says a lot that we've talked so little Little about about Willa. She's just not likable to me or interesting. She's juvenile and boring. Really unlikable. She's deeply unlikable and, uh, God, just so full of herself. And I don't like that the book validates her because Tess leaves and Tess comes back. Yeah. To get married. To Nate. Of all the bad reasons. <laughs> yeah. And in like that way, it feels really retrograde. I yeah. think like that's, it's a, a part of its time. It's- Came out in 1996. <laughs> It's weird that Tess, after a year-long hiatus from her L.A. life, like, it's fine that Willa stays on the ranch, and it's also fine that Lily finds happiness. Like, yeah. Those two-story wrap-ups with a neat bow are fine when they find the murderer and finally kill him, whatever. Uh-huh. But, like, Tess's story, yeah, it felt like a major bummer. Yeah! I mean, like, if Nate is so, like, tenuously attached to the land and went to Yale and is a hotshot lawyer and likes Keats, wouldn't it make more sense for him to move out to L.A.? But he couldn't because he loved the land and there is no land in LA and And she's the one that had to make the sacrifice because that's what love demands yeah it's just a it's just a real it's a real bummer I didn't like that I didn't like Willa the most central character I didn't really go in much for Lily either Mm -mm. Tess was the only one I liked and Mm -hmm. she got shit on a lot she did and I think that's interesting I will say and I didn't like the murder stuff the murder stuff was so intense it was so gratuitous I wish she would have applied some of her descriptive fervor and creativity in murder to what the women were doing. Yeah. And building their relationships because that is one thing that was nice. The sisters did become close. And like building female friendships and like the work that that takes and like the kind of intimacy that that demands I think was really interesting for these three different women. And I will say this one thing. What if the ending was like frozen and they found out that the real love of their lives was each other? Was each other. That would have been great. What if Tess moved to Montana because she loved her sisters? sisters. That would have been great. Yeah, it would have been great. Yeah. Damn it. (laughs) Take note, Nora Roberts. (laughs) It's a post-frozen world. We're never going back. That's true. 
Um, I will say this. I have read a ton of, do I even want to say this? De-virgination or de-flowering. Oh, How do we want to talk God. about yes. losing your virginity? Yeah. What's like a non-gross term for that? Like just having sex for the first time? Yeah, popping probably. a cherry? Not popping a cherry. That's Not so everyone gross. has the... Anyway, so it's true. And like I've read a Not lot cold. of scenes about a virgin's first time. And like there's usually a moment of like, ah, oh, I was burning. Ah, oh, it was painful. And then it was like bliss. 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 And then what was great about Willa is that her partner who owns the neighboring ranch and has been in love with her since she was 18, and she's 26 now, which detail. He spends five pages up and down her body. Yeah, he takes he takes his time with the foreplay. Here's what I didn't like about that scene. She spends three pages describing the bedroom and all the <laughs> candles in it and how her sisters set it up for her. Her sisters did like, do that. That's super is, gross. I imagine them each with a hand on the enormous <laughs> Miss Bic lighter lighting these white vanilla vanilla scented for their baby sister to get God. laid by no the one, neighboring ranch. No one loves candles more air. than I do. Vanilla's gross. Nobody wants to smell Fuck. like a fucking cookie when they're like fucking. I could not stand the description of the candles I in hear her that. bedroom. I hear that. But he spent five pages up and down her beautiful glistening body and there was no pain. And I like really, really loved that. That's yeah. like one of the only loss of virginity scenes. It is 100% about her through her and like the male gaze is in service. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, yes, I do agree. That scene is kind of an exemplification of what's best about romance writing about a woman writing for women and I also love the whole build up where mm-hmm. she has the champagne mm-hmm. and then she doesn't realize the awkwardness mm-hmm. feels very true mm-hmm. and still very charming mm-hmm. I did like that scene it was a good scene I hated the fucking candle I set. hear that but the, it's like, like nobody likes vanilla setting no do you remember that movie where Val Kilmer was a blind masseuse and then he gets his vision back so he can have sex with this woman who used to be his client Marissa Tomei mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what it reminds the love scene in that <laughs> movie is what I kept thinking of. What was the weirdest scene for you? We talked about the, the good stuff. What was the weirdest scene? We, we've talked about Nora Roberts mentioning this rape and violence against women. Yeah. And for me, there was... So there's this scene. They're having this New Year's Eve party. All the sisters have finally gotten over their initial hang-ups about each other. And they've all just really settled into the project of staying on the ranch so that everybody can have an equal share. And so they throw this party to like celebrate their detente. Uh-huh. And the party is broken up by a body being discovered on the porch of the ranch and it's a vagrant teenage girl from Kansas from Kansas from Dodge City from Dodge City near me and so like that's shocking enough like she's tied up she's dead she's like been bled like a stuck pig like it, that all of that is just like really she's intense scalped. she's been scalped like it's it's violent and then pages and pages later while everyone's like decompressing from this awful scene on the porch at this party Nora Roberts describes the police report where we also find out that this vagrant teen was pregnant and running away from her family who was religious had disowned her Mm -hmm. so like her teenage unnamed vulnerability is then like shot up in this particular way on the ranch in this isolated liminal space that makes it like immediate but also like untouchable because she wasn't like the girls that were following she was vulnerable in a way that they weren't which made them feel sorry for her but not like Mm -hmm. true empathy and like that dissonant moment of like that second re-victimization of that female body was so discordant for me that
that like I stopped reading. I would also say something that really upset me is kind of this realization. I feel like the police report was in mm-hmm. some way meant to make her seem like a whole person. No, I don't think it was meant to make her seem like a whole person. I think it was meant to layer. I think it was tragedy porn. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And it was gratuitous in a way that I found really like just. And I think that's what yeah. the biggest problem I had with the murders. Yeah. They just felt gratuitous. And not titillating in the way that sometimes murder, true crime is like meant to yeah. elicit a response. Yeah. This was just like the other side of that. Yeah. Where it's like, not only do I not enjoy this, I actively disenjoy it mm-hmm. and it feels... But it, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be like, this is how you're supposed to feel about murder. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're supposed to be like, oh, wow, I'm so glad this is bringing Willa and what's-his-name closer together. Right, because, like, she's a vulnerable female body yeah. and, like, look at her white knight in yeah. his, like, Land Rover rig. Yeah, it's kind of... Gross. Gross, it's gross. So now I feel shitty about my weirdest part. <laughs> what is your weirdest part? <laughs> When is Nate Willis Bow or uh, is Nate the lawyer? What's Willis Bow's name? I think it's like Brock or something. No, it's not Brock. Don't be crazy. It's something like that. <laughs> what is it? Sam. Sam, maybe. Peter. Let's keep guessing. Michael. Chris. It's gonna be Nate. We're gonna feel stupid. It's not Nate. Oh no, it's not Nate. That's mm-hmm. good. Jason. Gregory. <laughs> Carrie. Jimmy. Oh, and she, like, gives into her father's wishes, which her dad was always trying to, like, sell her into this marriage. Yeah, the neighboring farm. Because he's the executor of the will or something. Yeah, it's weird that, whatever. Weird plot detail that isn't meaningful. Ben. Ben. Ben McKinnon. Here's the weirdest scene for me. When he and Willa Mm -hmm. have that erotic wrestling scene. And at first I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, wait, these are grown-ups. Mm-hmm. wrestling wrestling in order to rub their genitals against each other through their blue jeans mm-hmm. and not in a way that's like wranglers they're not admitting that they want to bone each other like they're, they're not just like wrestling. self-aware they're like oh i hate you yeah Brrr, little fist punching on the chest they it's have like, known each other since they were children i think it's weird that adults would wrestle in that way that adults would wrestle in that way while pretending not to like each other or want a physical connection like that like lack of self-honesty and like you know what that felt like huh felt like every rom-com in 1990s like you've got mail they had a wrestling scene and you've got mail i mean but you know like i'm gonna hug you slash hold you too tight while you like fight off it's like there's like a scene like that in moonstruck with nicholas cage yeah it's for me the fact that they were like i think it's prototypical wrestling like it just felt so juvenile and made me feel icky And it reminded me that she's a 26-year-old virgin in addition to her, like, overall... She's just the worst. I just don't like Willa. Willa's unkind. Willa is unkind. Willa is unconscientious. I think unconscientious. Willa is not conscientious. Uh, I also think Willa is the most stubborn, clear-eyed about her way of life mm-hmm. being best. Mm-hmm. And I hate that everyone proves her right. Mm-hmm. because But the novel proves yeah, her right. Yeah, the novel proves her right. It's I don't like it. I hear that. It's a no-mance. No-mance or womance for you. What's the difference? Like, what? how can I split that difference? Womance, no-mance, romance? Why do you want to f- split the difference? Because I thought the sex scenes were really sexy. I did not think the sex scenes were that sexy. I mean, like, candles aside, that loss of virginity was hot. Every sex scene with Tess was hot. I love that she's going down on the lawyer who loves Keats in the truck. Like, even the stuff with Lily when she finally gets her groove back and she's like, Adam, I'm going to fucking undress you in our kitchen and, like, tear you apart. Like, all of that... That was really sexy. And like 
you know what? You're right. It's a no man's because like the rest of it doesn't <laughs> outweigh it. Those are like, this is, this is one of the, this is dear, dear listeners. This is one where you dog ear and you return to it when you're alone or with a partner and you just, you just read those scenes. I gotta say, I don't think those scenes come within spitting distance of the wrist kissing and beast. Oh God. You know, I love the wrist kissing and beast. And I don't think any of these, I wouldn't dog ear and return to them. I would definitely dog and ear and return to Chess <laughs> and Nate. We were talking about buying used romance novels at thrift stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done it that often because obviously I'm very new to this genre. I just got my first haul. <laughs> Maybe we should do a YouTube video we haul. Should, we should do, yeah. <laughs> Womance haul. Womance haul. But um, you mentioned how sometimes you'll get stuff from garage sales. Yeah. Which I think is so much more intimate and weird. It is very the intimate. from the person. Indeed. Who dog-eared all the sex scenes yep. in the book. Or like, the thing that I love about the dog ears from garage sales for like 50 cents or a quarter is it's the lead up. It's the anticipatory moment of the pre-sex. And like, that is always the moment at least in my experience that has been dogged. It's like, it begins with the wrist kisses. It doesn't begin at, you know shedding clothing it begins mm-hmm. at like a sultry look and I think that is what's beautiful about romance because it fucking understands that like oh, sexuality mm-hmm. is a whole body experience it starts in the eyes or the nose or like at the fingertips or the wrist and like it moves yeah. across the entire like you know planetary movement of your body yeah that's true it's not tits and ass it's not tits and ass however varied and fascinating they may be Cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers. This episode brought to you by very strong <laughs> Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Thanks for listening, Woman's listeners. Uh, you'll see us next time with Shanna by Kathleen Woodywise. Did I say that right? <laughs> I think you did. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mwah. Mwah. Hey folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman, and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.